All right. Well, that's uh, uh, what a way to, to kind of begin a service here, you guys. Um, it's hard to, uh, to begin uh, from there, but, you know, it's been a heavy week. Um, and unfortunately, we've had lots of tragedies over the years recently. It seems like there's been a lot. And um, it's easy for us to get numb to it. Um, I know for me, I can only handle so much news, and then I have to turn it off. I just, I can't, I can't, I can't deal with all of the grief all over the world. And it's easy for us to be like, you know, all the brokenness is out there, right? Luckily in the church, we've got it together. We love Jesus. We know what it's like to, to be forgiven. And then you hear other problems. Uh, the, I don't know if you guys heard about the, the news of the SBC, the Southern Baptist Convention. There's just a whole bunch of like 700 pastors that were caught in abuse and was covered up. And I mean, it's just like, it's in the church too. The brokenness that we see in the world is right here among us. And um, we're going to be going through this new series called Upside Down Kingdom. And I think that like, when we wrestle with this, there's times when I don't even know if I want to be called a Christian. (laughs) Because the world sees what Christian looks like, and they look at these and they're like, yeah, really? That's what a Christian is? You know? Abuse some power, gain some wealth, you know? Take advantage of other people. That's what it means to be a Christian. Um, and we're like, no, but also I see why you would, would think that way. You feel that way, right? And so what I really think we need right now is um, we need to not think of what it means to be a Christian based on like, you know, what the media says, even maybe what, you know, good pastors have taught you or good theologians, but we really need to go and and listen to Jesus and say, what, what was his vision for the church? Like, what, what did he say being part of his kingdom would look like? And because we for so long have been building, trying to build God's kingdom our way, right? And that's never been the way Jesus wanted us to do it. He, he has these up, upside down ways of doing things. You know, he's like, hey, you wanna be first in God's kingdom? You gotta be last. You're like, that doesn't make any sense, you know? You know? Um, I mean, really, it doesn't make any sense, right? You want to save your life, you got to lose it. Like, that doesn't make sense. If I lose it, I, I can't save it, right? Like, it, it literally doesn't make sense. Now, we've, in the church, heard these words a lot. So we're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. It's kind of like a, this great idea, you know? But Jesus is saying some pretty crazy things here, you know? If you want to become great, you know, you want to have the position of honor, you got to serve. You got to be the servant. You know, and especially in, in the culture there, you're like, what do you mean? I have to be the person who like cleans the toilets? Like that's, that's what a greatness looks like? It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And over and over and over again, the way Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven does not make sense if we really think about what it means. And so I think we, we need to stop and really consider what it possibly means. Um, Tim Mackey, who's, uh, he does the Bible Project out of Portland, really, um, really great theologian and researcher, um, he says this, he says, the moment that you're not bothered by Jesus' teachings is the moment you've stopped listening to Jesus. You know, and I think we all, we all land there sometimes, right? Like, we can't just say, oh yeah, those people, they stopped listening to Jesus. 
We're not always bothered by, well, yeah, love each other, love your neighbor, yeah, great. We, we think those are good thoughts. But then we're like, well, what does that actually mean? Oh, we don't wanna think about what that might mean. Um, so I, I believe there's a real possibility that we have tended to stop listening to Jesus and we've kind of like, kind of know what it means to be a Christian and I'm gonna kind of do it my way. Um, so I'm hoping that as we do this upside down kingdom this summer, we're gonna be, uh, Curtis and I are gonna be teaching through it. We're gonna have some guest speakers as well. But we wanna sit on those like really difficult things and like mull it over in our brain a little bit and like let it wreck us a little bit. Um, if I'm say something or we're talking about something and something like pops in your head and you're like, that just feels weird. Like write it down and think about it throughout the week. Like let it, let it wreck your soul a little bit and wrestle with God. Go, God, what do you, what do you mean by this? Right? We need, to, we need the ways we've done church in the past, the ways we viewed God's kingdom to be challenged um, and not just in one ear and out the other. But yeah, I heard that in, in Sunday school. Yeah, I know that's in the Bible. Like, we need to let it wreck us. So um, that's the goal of all of this. And um, we're talking about the upside down kingdom. And today we're going to be talking about the very beginning of um, the Sermon of the Mount. So we're doing this upside down kingdom of the Sermon of the Mount, which is Jesus' most famous sermon, uh, most popular teaching, if you will, of Jesus's. And um, we're starting with what they call the Beatitudes, the blessed be. Um, and these blessings themselves are upside down. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that. Um, I think it's really interesting, as I was uh, doing some research on this, that there was a, um, like this, this teaching style of a, of a, of a um, I don't know what they call them back then, like their priest or whatever, to uh, their teachers, their rabbis. They do a lot of this in the Jewish culture, this blessed be. In fact, before Jesus, the Jesus that we serve was there, there was another Jesus who was a rabbi who taught like 100 years before Jesus, very famous, and he walked around and he had his nine blesseds, blessed be this and blessed be that. And some of them are very, very close to what Jesus, what Jesus of Nazareth said. You know, he said, you know, Jesus, you know, blessed be, you know, uh, he who follows, you know, scripture. And he said, blessed be he whose mouth does not cause him to sin. You're like, ah, oh, this is like in the Bible. Then he says stuff like, blessed be he who doesn't have to serve someone uh, lower, on a lower state than him. You're like, wait a minute, that's not in the Bible, right? But this style of, of coming out and saying, blessed be this, blessed be that, is, a, is the way the rabbis would teach back then. So when Jesus gets up and says, you know, starts his blessings, everyone's like, okay, yeah, rabbi, he's teaching us the blessings. How do we become blessed by God, right? Everyone wants to know how to be blessed by God. And he turns that whole thing upside down. So before we go into that, I just want to stop a little bit and um, just reflect on our, our culture in a good way. A little is um, anybody anybody used on, in social media the hashtag blessed before? Anybody want to share hands? Anybody ever done that? I think I have. I, I, I don't share much on social media, but hashtag blessed, right? So I decided I was going to do some research, and I went on Instagram and I just put in the tag hashtag blessed to see what would come up. And so I've got some pictures and some um, just think, kind of general categories um, of, of what it means to be hashtag. So the first thing I noticed is there's a lot of people's pictures of family, right? So I think I have a picture yeah, as a, a girl and her grandmother. I don't know these people. Hashtag blessed. This is something about family, right? You'd say, yeah, family. If you have family, you're blessed, right? 
Um, what's, what's the next one? Go ahead and put the next one up there. I'll just follow you here. Oh, blessed. A pet, right? This, the, the story behind this dog, got into it, had like a cardiogram or something. It was having a heart problems, and then like the heart problems were getting better. So it was hashtag blessed. And we love our pets, right? Love our cute pets. If you have a pet, you know, you're blessed. Um, next we got here, what else do we got? I'll, I'll follow you here. Oh, America, right? It's Memorial Day weekend. So we live in America. It's a blessed area to live, right? We have the right to meet um, freely and, and have our faith. Um, other ones, uh, what's up? What's next here? Oh, hashtag blessed. A stack of $100 bills. At least we think it's a stack of $100 bills. It might just be the top ones, $100, and the rest are ones. I don't know. Um, and then a crown. Um, I saw a lot of posts about money, right? It just, you have a lot of money, hashtag blessed. Um, what else have we got here? Oh, fitness. Weirdly, people were posting, and not, most of them I can't, I, I wouldn't share on a Sunday morning, but like just people flexing in front of a mirror, just hashtag blessed. Like, I am blessed because I like have some abs here, right? Like, yeah, hashtag blessed. What society called blessed? Uh, what else we got here? A couple more here. Blessed being on vacation. Lots of vacation posts, right? When you're on vacation and you got your feet up and you're on the beach, you're like, my life's pretty good right now, right? Hashtag blessed. Who wouldn't want to be there right now, right? Instead of in the, in the great northwest in the rain um, on Memorial Day weekend. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah. Cars. For whatever reason, I was surprised. I understood the wealth, but there was like dozens and dozens of just people with like a new car and mostly like nice cars, convertibles, like, you know, and they're like, hashtag blessed. I got a nice car. And honestly, if you have a nice car, I mean, I've looked in the parking lot. We do have some nice cars out here. Um, I have a, I have a new truck. That's really nice. So, I mean, I do feel blessed when we have nice things, right? And I'm curious, is there, any, is there any more or did I get all of them all the way through here? Okay, good. Um, I'm curious if you were really to make a list of what, what makes you feel blessed. What makes you feel like God is taking good care of you? You know, you might make a list. Yeah, blessed is the person who's got a nice car, who's on vacation, right? These are how we, this, this is how society views blessed. And it, it's rightly so, Right? So then when Jesus comes up and says his list, it should challenge us. It should, why would you say that, Jesus, right? So here, here we go. We're going to read the, the blessed, uh, the beatitudes, if you will, uh, that Jesus says as he gets up in front of the, the people. Um, starting in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it said, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Verse 2, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against 
you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm still waiting for the blessed are you with the stack of cash, right? Like, it feels like a blessing to me. Um, So he starts with this first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? It seems really easy. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then the question is, is what is the poor in spirit? Are these people who are financially poor? Is it saying blessed are the people who like have this like mindset, like I am, my spirit is poor, I'm needy. Or is it blessed are the people who are spiritually bankrupt? Which one is it? Well, as I studied and learned that, that there's been a lot of debate on this, and most theologians agree that it's both. The word for poor here is not the normal word for poor, it's the word for beggar. It's this concept of blessed are those who are needy. Uh, spiritually needy, yes. Financially needy. It's weird, but like, I don't know about you guys, but like when you are in a financially tight spot, you also feel spiritually needy. I don't know what it is, but they, those two somehow are connected. You're like, God, I really need some help here, right? When, we, when you have some money, you're doing okay. You're like, hey, God, I'm glad to have you along for the ride, but I'm doing all right, right? So it's, it's both. Um, and you say, you know, who is he talking to here? What, what, why, is, why is he starting with blessed are the poor, right? Nobody, nobody like comes and like posts on Instagram their like negative bank account balance. You ever had one of those before? I have had before. Hashtag blessed, you know. I got a negative $42 like overdraft fee, right? Like nobody likes that, right? Um, so it really helps to understand like who's he talking to? What's going on here? Why is Jesus starting with blessed are the poor in spirit? It's literally opposite of everything we would say. Especially the, the spiritually poor. You're like, people who are spiritually bankrupt, yeah, you're the blessed one. Like, that, that doesn't even make sense on a spiritual level. So what really helps us to understand this is if you go and look at Matthew 4, 24 and 25. So this is like five verses before this, right? It says this. So his fame, Jesus' fame, spread throughout Syria And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond Jordan. Okay, so who are the people who are following him right now? Right? These are the sick people. These are the poor people. These are the people who have emotionally emotional health problems. They have demons. They're paralyzed. These are the people who don't have jobs, right? Because I don't know about you, but if if you heard that somebody was, you know, a good teacher was out in, you know, the middle of nowhere teaching, you know, you might, are you going to like leave your job, like your good job and go pay and like go hang out there for a while? Even if he's offering free lunch, right? Because Jesus did, you know, make free lunch. You'd be like, you know what? I, I, I got lunch. Like, I don't, I don't need to, like, you know, waste a day or two to do this. And, in fact, I'll just wait until someone comes back and, like, writes a blog post about what they learned, and then I can learn, right? Like, those who are not that needy aren't probably there. It's the people who are needy and the people who their friends are like, man, or their family members are like, man, we really got to get this person healed, right? These people are, are, are super needy. They're desperate for a change, they, something that they know they can't fix on their own. 
And um, these are the people who come. And it says, well, you know, you, you, you might say to me like, hey, well, it does say that he like saw the people in verse uh, one there. And then he sat, went to the mountain and his disciples came to him. Here's the deal. The disciples haven't been called yet. Only, only the fishermen. So he's got like four disciples. So who's the disciples? These are all the people who are following him. The people who are really wanting to hear from him. He's like, he sees the crowd. And just even to, to say that, like Jesus, think about what it was like to be Jesus. Everybody came, all these people who had nothing to give only wanted something from him, right? They wanted help. You know, they're not the givers, right? They're the people like, we just, I need money, I need food, I need things fixed, I don't have a job. And that's his congregation. And he says he sees them. And, and I think that we need to realize that, like, Jesus sees us. He sees us in our brokenness. He sees us in our need. And he has compassion on them. He, he humanized them. Because you know how he's healing, right? He's coming to these people who are broken, got leprosy stuff, and he, like, touches them. And he looks them in the eye, and he heals them. He's just not just, like, waving a magic wand, like, be healed, everybody. Go home, you know? Like, he's, he's humanizing. He's spending time with the lowest of the low, the, 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 the most difficult people to love. And he starts his sermon, you know who's, who belongs in my kingdom? The poor in spirit. This should challenge us. You know, first of all, some of us in this room could feel that way. And on some levels we do, right? We feel emotionally broken. We maybe feel like we've sinned and we've, we've done things and maybe we don't belong. And Jesus is saying, yeah, there's everybody belongs. Even the worst belongs. So if, if you struggle to feel like you are a Christian, that you could belong in church, you could belong in the kingdom, this upside down kingdom, Jesus says, yeah, you're exactly who I've come for. You exactly have a place. If you're poor, if you're needy, if you are desperate for a change, I'm here for you. My kingdom is yours. You, you have the kingdom. But what it challenges the, is those of us who are, don't feel like we're so poor. Because Jesus wasn't really kind to those people. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if you, if you thought about that very much, right? Um, it says in Matthew 19, 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Right? If you look at it, well, I'm not a rich person, right? We, we get this thing, but you, you know, if you had breakfast this morning, you're probably doing all right, right? You're probably not the poorest person in your neighborhood. You probably have a job, right? Like, we tend, if we're going to identify, we actually identify more with the rich, right? So this is challenging. Jesus comes up and says, hey, I've got a kingdom for heaven. The people who belong are the poor, well, I'm not really poor. He definitely means spiritually poor. Are you spiritually poor? Are you uneducated about Jesus? Do you not know the scriptures? No, I, I've been to church my whole life. You're not the spiritually poor either. So we, we have to let this challenge us and like sit in this, right? What is he saying? Why would he say this? He's alienating us. Well, first of all, I think he's saying there's no room for things like racism, right? One person's not better than another person. There's no room for that in God's kingdom. Or classism, 
which was very prominent there. We say, we say it's not in America, but there are the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class even here, right? Where we think, eh, I just want to hang out with people in my class. It's like, there's no room for that in my kingdom. Gender, people divide by gender. People give, people, you know, you know oftentimes it, men have this, like, this higher privilege. And he's like, that's not my kingdom. It's the poor, it's the needy. We can't have that in my kingdom. And you look about the churches in America and across the world, we realize we've not done this well. We've not done this well. So Jesus says, says the rich, you know, they're the difficult. And I wonder, it's, I think it's because relationally with Jesus, when we're wealthy, we aren't desperate for God. We, we don't rely on Jesus. When, when, we get, when we can take care of our own needs, we take care of our own needs first, and then we, bring Jesus, we sprinkle Jesus on at the end. Um, and I honestly think that this is a call for us to really understand and really realize that we are desperate for Jesus. We, come not, we bring nothing to the table, and we need Jesus. We need to be like the least of these who know they bring nothing, right? Jesus says, you should be like the little children, right? Up, another upside down, like I'm, gonna, I'm building this big, you know, this new kingdom, and I have new, and we're going to start with the children. They're the ones who are going to lead this thing. You're like, well, you don't let the children lead. It's like, well, they get it. Why do children get it? Because they know they're not in charge. Most kids do. Um, you know, they, they know that they, they can't control the world, you know? As, but as adults, we're like, well, I can probably figure this out, right? It's difficult. It's challenging. Okay, I'm going to move on because there's more here. So still, oh, sorry, my first point here is the upside-down kingdom is for the needy. And we just talked about poor in spirit. Then he goes to the next one which shows that Jesus is totally tone deaf. He says, blessed are those who mourn. Okay, so we start with the poor, and now we're talking about the people who are mourn. So you're going to throw a party, I'm going to just invite the sad people, right? Like Jesus is challenging. Like, no, the people who mourn, those people are like not the people we want to hang out with, right? But think about what it means to people who are mourn. They've lost something. I don't know about you if you've felt the loss. We've, you know, we're in the, it, it, we just did this, like, kind of reflecting on mourning, on this, like, brokenness in our, in our country, right? This mourning. Can you imagine going to the people who lost their kids this week and say, blessed are you. Jesus says you're blessed. Yeah, that's, that is upside down, right? But Jesus wants to know that people who have lost something, who've had something taken away from them, people who are are seeing the world and realizing it is not the way I want it, and they feel that emotion, He's like, your kingdom is for you. I, come for, I came for you as well. Right? It's not just the physical, people who have the physical problems. It's also the people who have the emotional problems who are broken, wrecked inside. He's like, I got a place for you. I got a place in my kingdom for you. And we've all dealt with mourning and grief on some levels, right? Um, and he makes it about this thing. He says, blessed are those who are mourned for they shall be comforted. And a side note here is, is this whole blessings, it's not like, it, don't think of it as like a formula. It's not like, okay, in order to, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, you got to get poor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom of God looks like this. We've got poor people. We've got mourning people. Like he says, this is what it looks like. And they call it, it's an inclusio. So basically, everything, every blessing actually belongs to everyone. 
because it's all talking about all the blessings for being in the part of the kingdom. This is like what it means to be part of the kingdom. You get this blessing. And his, blessed are the mourners for they shall be comforted. Um, and Jesus turns it to be a relational thing. He's like, you know what? The most important thing in your, in your life is being close to God. It's not having a good paycheck, a nice house, and a nice truck, which I have. The most important thing is to have a con- deep connection with God. And he's like, you know the people who end up having a deep connection with God? Those who are mourning. Those who are in pain. Those who are dealing with cancer and don't think they're going to survive. What do they do? They're just like, God, I need you. All I have is you. All I, I may not survive this. And he's like, that is what the kingdom of God is like. It's having this deep connection and letting God comfort us, letting God walk with us, not just take away our pain. It's challenging. It's challenging, right? Uh, we'll, we'll continue to go on here, right? Um, Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So meek isn't a word we use all the time, right? I don't have someone say, hey, that guy was really meek, right? We don't, we don't use this word, and so it doesn't necessarily, you know, we have to think about it. And um, most of the, of the study I did on this word, it just talked about, it's really, some translates call it gentle, some are like humble. It's this idea that people who don't either have power or don't seek, aren't seeking to get power, so they're not about position and power and prestige and honor. Like, that's not their life. They're just people. Everyday people. Not important people. Not special people. Just the average. The meek. They don't have a lot going on. And I believe that all of these kind of are grouped together because he's looking at these crowds and he's like, you guys get in the kingdom. You're poor, spiritually and physically. You guys are in the kingdom because you're really sad and you've had a lot I want you in my kingdom. And he looks at the meek, and he's like, you guys are nothing special. That's the purse people I want in my kingdom. Right? This is the how Jesus is building a kingdom. It's so different than how we would build a kingdom. We need, this, we need some famous people, you know, get the word out, you know, to share on social media so more people will follow. Like, it's just, it's all backwards. It's all backwards. Um, and a lot of the brokenness you see in churches, honestly, is when pastors forget to be meek, right? And they're like, oh, I can get some power here. Even if it's twisted internally, I don't think, I think a lot of times they think they're doing the right thing, but the power is corrupting. They're like, yeah, I can have a bigger platform and I want to do more and I want a greater, you know? And then you hear these stories of abuse and all the things happening. And you're like, how does that happen? This is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom's like, you know, you know your, your greatest goal is to be average, right? It's just, just meek, um, and then this next one here, um, I think, is also because this is all still kingdom of, of upside down kingdom is for the needy. Um, verse six: Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you think about what it's like to be hungry? Have you ever been on like a diet or a fast, you know, and you just feel really hungry? Or maybe you've like been hiking all day and you only brought like a granola bar. And you're like, man, that was not enough, and you just feel hungry or thirsty, right? You ever? You know, I don't know, I've been doing something and you just, your, fo- your throat is so dry, I just need a drink of water. Why are you hungry? Why are you thirsty? Because you don't have food and drink. She says, the people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness are people who are not experiencing righteousness, right? These are the people who've suffered injustice, 
right? They, I, I just, I just want to live in a place where, like, I'm not taken advantage of. I want to live in a place where, um, you know, where I have rights too, right? Where, where there's justice, right? I'm hungering and thirsting for a place where things are doing the right thing. So these are people um, who've been taken advantage, exploited. They're, maybe their property's taken away. I, in fact, I wonder, um, yeah, I just, I wonder what, what has gone on, like if the thing's been stolen from them, right? You know, and, and you think, it makes me think, honestly, of um, even just like the amount of abuse that women have, have suffered in this country. If you look at the statistics, it's really sickening. People who have not had, have not been honored and loved and cherished and treated like humans. They hunger and thirst for just a righteousness where they're taken care of, they're defended. They're allowed to, be a, to, to take full, full part. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, these people who are coming are people like, man, I'm coming to Jesus because the world, the government, the social structures are not, are not treating me right. People who are not treated right, that's who you You're not treated right, you can be part of my kingdom. Because um, Jesus says, I have a place for you, and I'm going to satisfy you. He says, I'm going to satisfy your thirst for righteousness. Um, I don't think it fully means those who just really, really, really want to be ultra-righteous, right? I think we take it that way. Like, those people who hunger and thirst righteous, they just really, really want to be the best person ever. Like, that's, I, don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. He's literally, in this whole thing, he's saying those who have suffered so much unrighteousness done to them. Um, and there's probably some of it too. It's like once you see brokenness in the world, you're like, man, I, I want to see the world fixed. I want to see the world better, right? Um, those are the kind of people that Jesus is inviting into his kingdom. Okay, so, um, yeah, okay, second, second point here. We're gonna, the first one is like a, a lot of verses, right? The upside down kingdom is inside out. Right? So not only is it for, for the needy, the poor, uh, the people who are desperate, um, it's, for, it's inside out. So in Matthew 5, 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, what, is, what does this mean? And um, we talked, we've talked a lot about what mercy means. I mean, our, the name of our, our church is mercy. This idea of having empathy that leads us to kindness. Right? Um, and once you receive mercy, you're able to give mercy, right? It says, um, blessed are merciful, they shall receive mercy. Um, and also can say, for they've received mercy, right? So this idea that like, when you've received kindness from God, you're able to be kind to others. So being a Christian, loving people is not, it's more about how we treat others and the love that, that comes out of us, right? Um, one of, my, uh, one of my favorite teachers, uh, Pete Scazzaro, and I'm sure it's not coming from him, but he says that um, you know, the mark of spiritual maturity is how well we love other people, right? It's an inside, we're loved, and so that love pours out to other people. And I would say the lack of maturity, immaturity, is when we're walking around in our churches trying to impress people, trying to make people think you know, we're okay, right? And he's like, no, that's not, that's not what spiritually mature means. It's people who have been deeply loved by Jesus and do small 
acts of kindness for people, with all the brokenness in the world, they're kind to their neighbor. You know, they do little things for strangers, not to get recognition, just these little, little kindness. It doesn't make any sense. It's not gonna benefit them at all. No one's gonna ever know about it. That's what the people who are in the kingdom, that's how they live. They live in a way that they've been changed that it overflows into other people. And it says, for they shall see God. And um, to me, when I, one of the things for me, and we've been talking about this, is just like our deep connection with God is the most important, important part. And out of that can flow a life for Jesus. Um, and it says, for they shall see God. That's this idea of like being with God, to, to be face to face with God, to be like in the same room with God. And um, just a, little, a couple weeks ago with the youth, we've been doing, we've been te- I've been teaching on prayer, and I, I taught them on the prayer of exam. And I don't know if you guys know what the prayer of exam is. It's an ancient prayer, but at the end of your day, um, before you fall asleep, you think back through every hour of your day and look for basically the fingerprints of God that you missed when you were living your life, right? You lived your life, you did your things, and at the end you look back and you're like, oh, I don't wonder God was in part of that, right? Like, you see this connection, right? You never saw God in your life when you were going through it. When you look back, you see the hand of God. And so it's just a way to reflect on your life and, and see where God's working. And um, an illustration that we talked about is that they did this study on people's, how people notice things. I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing or not, but um, they had these, this group of people in a room, and they had them watch a basketball practice. And people were passing the ball back and forth, and he said, okay, everyone, I want you guys to count how many times the ball gets passed. So everyone's intently watching, whatever, you know. At the end, he said, okay, Everyone know how many times it passed? Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, how many of you guys saw the guy in the monkey suit running around? And nobody saw it. Eh, nobody, I'm sure somebody saw it. But like, nobody noticed that there was a guy in a monkey suit running around in the video of this basketball because they were all so focused on passing the ball and counting. And uh, I think it's an illustration for our lives. We're living our lives and we're so focused on getting our lives done, surviving another day, getting to work, getting home, and we go to bed the next day and they say, how many people saw God working in their lives? And we're like, I, don't, I didn't see anything, right? Um, so those here, um, they said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. And it's a, it's a call to, to see what God's doing in our lives. Um, this idea of pure in heart um, you know, we know Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things. So like, yeah, yeah, you know, our heart is, is bad. So he says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Like, well, none of us are pure in heart. So that doesn't apply to any of us, right? Well, and I think that he's, he's really saying, okay, I'm looking at these, this, this crowd of misfits, right? You know, the misfit toys, right? This crowd of misfits. And he's like, you know who, you know who I'm excited about? people whose work is being done in their heart. I don't, I don't care what the outside looks like. I want, I want to know what the heart is doing. And I think a lot of times we try to be pure on the outside. Fake it till you make it, right? I'm going to do all these good things, and I'm going to serve, and kids, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do all this stuff, and like at some point in time, it'll like make its way into the deep recesses of my heart. And Jesus is like, no, it's the other way around. You got to give your heart to Jesus. You got to let him clean inside. 
You know, it's like when you have an, like a nice clean vehicle and then you like open it up and like, you know, the uh, fast food wrappers fall out, you know, because it's like so packed full of garbage inside. But on the outside, it looks good. Like, I think that's how our lives look half the time. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, looks like you have your life together. And, and we don't because we so focus on the outside. Jesus, like people who are part of my kingdom, they're more focused on the heart than anything else. And, see, and, and as they get their lives cleaned up, as they let God clean their lives, let me say it that way, right? We don't clean our own lives up. We, we give our lives to God and he cleans. Sometimes we have to repent, say, man, I, I blew it. I need you to clean and purify my heart. Um, but I also think that for us to really be clean um, may re- require years of therapy as well. And I, I say that, it's not here in the scripture that you need therapy to get clean, but um, I've been doing my own, I've been going to therapy and um, uh, someone once says, said, how can we be close to God if we're far from ourselves? And I think that happens. We get broken as chi- children or th- things happen in our lives and we're just not fully connected to who we are and we struggle with sin and we ask God to forgive us and he forgives us and he gives us a new life and yet we still are like walking with a limp and not fully ourselves. And, um, and we need to talk it out and have somebody pour God's mercy in our hearts and help us to see how God was working in our lives all along that we might be present with ourselves, that we might actually f- feel close to God. All right, I'll go on. But the upside down kingdom, the inside out. It's not from the outside in. Uh, last one here. Uh, the upside down kingdom def- defines success backwards, right? If you're gonna build a kingdom, you're gonna build a church, you're like, well, here's what we're gonna do. We'll get a bunch of people together. We're gonna preach, preach these amazing sermons and then the pews are gonna be packed full. Then we're gonna have to go to two services. Then we're gonna have three services. Then we're gonna have to have remote campuses and we're gonna build this giant kingdom for the Lord. That's how you build a kingdom. You know, we always think that the numbers should go from, you know, as you work, it should go from, you know, uh, your stats go up and to the right, right? I worked hard and it just got more and more and better and great and great and people got saved and, they, you know, that's how we do it. If you look at Jesus' ministry, it was kind of backwards. He had all these people here at the beginning and as he got to the end of his ministry, not as very many people following him anymore, Right? upside down, backwards way to do success. It doesn't make any sense. Um, so these verses here, I'm going to read those and, and we'll, we'll break it out and then we'll land this airplane here. Um, it says 5, 9 through 12 says, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for those, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Okay. I mean, just, if you just sit on this a little while, you're like, this is, Jesus isn't right. You know, you should be happy when people hate you. You know, it's like, that's, that, honestly, if I got done preaching and I got back and everyone was like mad at me, I'm not going to be happy that people hate me, right? Like that's, we don't want people to hate me. It's just not the way that we want to do. And, and, um, he's talking about what it, this is, it's just different than what we expect. And we need to let it, we, we, we gotta let it challenge us. A, a few months ago, Curtis preached on what it meant to be a peacemaker. And um, he talked about how being a peacemaker is different than being a peacekeeper. 
You know, being a peacekeeper is like, hey, let's nobody fight. Let's just pretend everything's okay. The peacemaker is someone who like gets involved, puts their reputation on the line, gets uncomfortable, tries to get to the root of the problem and dig in. And it's messy and painful. And the person who gets most hurt is the person in the middle trying to make the peace. Right? Think of Jesus. He's the ultimate peacemaker, right? What did it take? You, can't consider, you think dying at age 33 is success in our world? It's backwards, upside down. It doesn't make any sense. Um, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, right? And you go, hmm, what, 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 do, what does that mean? Should we like, oh, everyone should try to get persecuted, then you can get blessing. Like I said, it's not a formula of how to get blessed. It's like people who are truly following Jesus have a different definition of success. And this is what it is. You do what Jesus called you to do, the way he's called you to do it, and when he's called you to do it. We don't run ahead of God. We don't do our own way. We say, God's called me to do this, and I'm going to do it his way and in his time. That's it. He says, because the prophets, right? Like the prophets, like, yeah, yeah, the prophets, they were great men of God, right? Do you guys remember Jeremiah? Do you know what Jeremiah did? God called, called him to strip down naked and for like, I forgot, it was like a year and preach. He walked around buck naked preaching and everybody hated him. They thought he was a weirdo, right? This is what he's, Jesus is like, hey, if you want to follow me, no, if you guys come in here naked next week, I'm going to think you're a weirdo, and I'm going to tell you you can't, can't be in here, but I might be wrong. God, you have to do what God has called you to do. Right? Hosea. You guys remember the story of Hosea? He married a, a prostitute. She was, you know, all tied up in um, trafficking, sex trafficking, and she was back and forth between, you know, it was like his life was a mess. God called him to do that. It doesn't make sense. Most of, the, most of the prophets ended up getting killed or being hated because they did what God called them to do. That's, that's just an upside-down view of success. If you're looking to say, am I following God right? I'm going to ask all the people around me, does everyone love me and everyone thinks I'm good? That's, you're looking to the wrong person to define your success. I think that's really the point here is like the people who are in God's kingdom sit with God and say, God, what do you want me to do? What is it you've called me to do? And I'm going to do that. And it probably won't look like worldly success. It probably won't look like thousands and thousands of people getting saved and you're like this, you know? It's probably a quiet life, misunderstood. <laughs> um, it's crazy. Uh, so as I, um, as I wrap this up, I, I just want to clear, clear this and say just that it's not about being persecuted. It's not like, hey, I want to be persecuted. It's just like, you probably will get persecuted at some point if you're just truly following God. People are not going to understand you. Also, I think in, the, in our society, just agreeing that we're a Christian, people aren't going to like it. Not because Christians are so good that people hate them. It's like, Christians have done some pretty gnarly things in the name of Jesus. And then for you to say, yeah, I'm one of them, you're going to get persecuted. And you're like, yeah. It says people um, utter all kinds of evil against you. Yeah. 
That is the way people have tried to live the kingdom of heaven and it's wrong. And I'm agreeing with you and I'm still follow Jesus. If, only people, if, if the people only hear about Jesus and all the broken ways we've you know, abused the Christian church, then how will they ever know that, that it's an upside down kingdom? Jesus does it way differently than we try to do it. Um, so it means that we, we live our Christianity out loud. We're willing to tell people we're Christians and, uh, and we let God do the rest. All right, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna wrap this up, land this plane. Um, last thing I wanna say here is upside down kingdom is actually a reflection of Jesus. If you were to take all these different beatitudes and put them in like a collage and kind of zoom out. You ever seen those ones where people have these little tiny pictures of things on digitally and then they zoom out and you're like, oh, a picture, right? Jesus is this picture. He was poor for our sake. He wept for those who, with, with those who wept. He was meek. He thirsted for righteousness. He was full of mercy and his heart was pure. He was the ultimate peacemaker as he sacrificed himself to make peace between man and God and he was persecuted for doing what God called him to do. Jesus is the upside down. And uh, it, can, it needs to challenge us to kind of wake up, pay attention. Are we listening to, to what is the kingdom all about? What did Jesus actually call us to do? Because um, I think that, that we have a long way to go. And it starts from the inside out. All right, let me pray for you guys. Thank you.